Um, hello, everybody, and welcome to the second edition of the recently named the FPS Review Cast. Um, and in this review cast, uh, we're going to go through reviews that we have done over the course of the past week, um, as well as some of the latest and greatest news uh, that has been most active on our news page um, and active within our forum community. Um, do us a favor, um, hit that like button, subscribe, um, do the things that people do on YouTube to come back and watch more because we plan on putting these out every week for your viewing enjoyment. Um, today, um, you know, we have myself, David Schroth, as your host. Uh, we have Paul Johnson uh, in square number one. We have uh, Dan in square number two. Hey. Hey, we got Brent um, joining us as well in, I guess, square number three. Uh, we don't have a number. We'll just put numbers up later after the fact. Um, <laughs> Post-editing, right? Um, so hope everyone had a good week. Um, you know, lots of interesting stuff for us to get to today. So uh, let's not waste any time and uh, get on moving. All right, so I guess we're going to kick it off today with a motherboard review that Brent uh, cranked out. Um, and this is of the Biostar B550MH uh, motherboard. Um, and this is pretty interesting because this, you know, Biostar approached us um, a couple months back. Um, and, you know, they're, you know, typically a budget end uh, component manufacturer, and they haven't had a huge presence in uh, the United States over the course of the past few years. Um, at least that, not that we've noticed, but they still wanted some coverage of their boards. We thought, well, that'd be pretty interesting to run it through the ringer and see what they can do. Um, so, you know, basically we've got a, a B550 based board that Brent th went, um, went through and reviewed. Um, so Brent, can you tell us a little bit about the board? Sure. Okay. Uh, welcome, everyone. So basically, the uh, Biostar has actually, you know, is a well-known manufacturer of motherboards. They've been with us forever. Uh, if you've uh, seen motherboards in the '90s and all throughout there, um, they, they've they've made motherboards for a long time, and um, it was a pleasure to actually get to review one for the first time. And I hope we do get more. Um, this is basically a uh, AMD B550 based motherboard. And it's basically a very low-cost motherboard. It is an under $100 motherboard. We're talking about $97. And that's very important because that gets you into the Ryzen ecosystem in a, at a very low price point. In fact, it allows you to get on the Zen 2 and Zen 3 platform under $100. Now, the caveat to that, it is very feature lean. It has very little features. Um, in terms of uh, a large feature set that you would get on the more expensive motherboards. However, the AMD B550 chipset itself uh, is pretty feature full, and this basically gives you the basic uh, features of that 550 chipset. So you'll still get PCI Express 4 uh, NVMe performance. You'll still get PCI Express 4 uh, GPU performance. And again, you'll be able to jump on the Zen, th Zen 2 and Zen 3, upcoming Zen 3 CPUs, and basically allows a very entry level into that ecosystem. And uh, also works as a good upgrade motherboard because this one is very unique in the fact that it has some legacy connectivity on it. PS2 connectors for mouse and keyboard, VGA port, who sees that anymore? anymore uh you know and these allow you to upgrade from older components but yet still have a modern cpu platform and uh, support and especially 
in terms of like a business type of motherboard, uh, having that PCI Express SSD, PCI Express 4 SSD is just going to allow, you know, a lot of performance for those kind of applications. Uh, so it is a very interesting board. Also, it's micro ATX. And uh, there haven't been a lot of micro ATX uh, X570 chips at motherboards. In fact, I only know of one. So the fact that the, with the B550 chipset, uh, we have some uh, micro ATX options here allows for much smaller uh, computer builds. We can get some compact computer builds and you can uh, you know, have a nice small machine and still run the latest CPU. And that's really the big appeal of, that, of this motherboard. Right. I, hey, that sounds pretty awesome, Brent. So, um, I, yeah, wow. I mean, a, an AMD board under a hundred bucks that's it, you know has PCIe four and so on is something that I hadn't heard of until this. Uh, and it also looks like we you only get two RAM slots as opposed to the usual four that we're used to seeing on everything else. Um, this is uh, this is tr this is true, but uh, it still supports up to sixty four megabytes or gigabytes <laughs> megabytes uh, gigabytes of RAM. So. Um, you know, in a typical office situation or even for gaming, um, that's that's plenty. So, yes, it's only two, but it still supports the right amount that you would need. And it's still dual channel and it still supports uh, the high speed 3600 or 4000, even beyond 4000 speeds. Right. So, um you know, I think we've established it's a value, but uh, I mean, how does it perform? Uh, let's talk a little bit about subsystem and the gaming performance. Um, it looks like you compared it against uh, the ASRock B550 Tai Chi, which is a what, complete opposite scale. <laughs> so, um, you know, how did it compare and did it hold a candle to the top end B550 board that's out there versus this guy? Absolutely. As you can see there with latency mon, uh, it, it actually had the better score. Uh, so it performed uh, really good in that. Um, the NVMe PCI Express 4 performance, uh, right where it should be, absolutely performing at the top end of reads and writes on the SSD, so you're not going to have slowdowns there. Um, and in terms of uh, like your LAN speed, uh, great. I mean, you're going to get a gigabit of uh, Ethernet on this, and so that works great. No problems there. It was a little slower on the USB 3.2 Gen 1 speeds. Um, there was seemed to be a little bit more overhead happening on the USB ports. Um, you're still going to get much faster than USB 2 speeds out of it, but I have seen faster USB 3 speeds, so probably a little bit of uh, overhead, software overhead maybe happening there. Uh, on those, there's it really comes down to how they implemented it. Mm -hmm. uh, I haven't looked at these boards, so disclaimer there, but... Uh, typically, it's there are some variants in, in how motherboard manufacturers choose to implement the ports because uh, a lot of times they try to go beyond what's on the chipset by adding extra headers and whatnot. And they can they usually do that through internal USB hubs and things like that. And and those uh, bring extra latency and things like that. I, I don't know mm -hmm. if that's what's going on here, but that's one possibility. Yeah, that makes sense. And then yeah, the uh, the memory performance you're going to get the full dual channel. Uh, memory performance out of this motherboard and that's right where it should be um, and then basically we come to the gaming performance and when you look at all the application and gaming performance I mean it's it's right there neck and neck with the Tai Chi uh, then sometimes the numbers might just be slightly under but um, I mean that could be anything when you get down to to it it's you know it's right on par with the performance so even though it is a feature lean motherboard 
because of the chipset and all of that, it just um, it it performs just the same as a uh, as a more expensive motherboard. Right. I mean, but that's pretty consistent with what um, AMD said even back when the X570 came out, and you know, you know, basically they're saying that between all of the different chipsets for the Ryzen platform, you're going to expect the same performance level because it really is all concentrated right there on the CPU. Um, beyond that, so yeah, mm-hmm. I've been saying that for for years because that I mean that's certainly the you know what we see time and time again when we test them you know the the big difference that people need to understand is when you're going from like B550 to X570 it's IO and connectivity features you know memory performance and all that stuff is going to be about the same you get a little bit of difference in boost clock sometimes going up um, to the higher end boards Um, and certainly when it comes to overclocking you know there are big differences there but you know, if you're not overclocking, you just slap a GPU of your choice in it. B550 will do the same thing as X, X570 or whatever. Uh, or just feature sets sometimes. Some of the, you know, higher end boards, you afford more features. Well, yeah. To add on. Yeah. Like, you know, X570 gives you PCI Express 4.0 everywhere, right. not just for a GPU and yeah. one NVMe slot. It you know, gives it to you for everything. Um, but you also get, you know, additional USB and, and other connectivity options that, that B550 doesn't necessarily give you. And it's not because the chipsets, ne- you know, because as I said, the manufacturers will sometimes add USB hubs and everything else to increase the number of ports or actually even add third-party controllers. Um, yeah, when, you're so, more expensive, when you're selling a more expensive board, you can add more expensive components. And people right. Say, you know, they're going to expect it and they're going to pay for it. Right. Yeah, and that's actually a good point about the uh, PCI Express 4, uh, 4.0 support between 550 and 570 is the uh, X570 has a direct, I believe it is direct CPU communication of the PCI Express 4.0 bus between both NVMe slots, both M.2 slots. But on B550, yeah. on B550, only the primary M.2 slot has direct PCIe 4 communication to the CPU. The secondary M.2 slot, if there is one, and there can be one, is through the chipset. And that slows the performance down, we have seen. So if there is a secondary M.2 slot on a B550 board, that second M.2 slot will always be slower than the primary one. It, it's actually, and I don't want to get too far off in the weeds with it, but... It, uh, it's the same with 550. Uh, the CPUs oh, themselves, yeah, with 570, the CPUs themselves from AMD have four PCI Express lanes that are dedicated to NVMe storage. Manufacturers have the option to split that out into two, uh, but I've never seen one do it, mm. ever. Like, no board I've ever seen was, was ever done that way. So anytime you have two, three, four, five NVMe slots, whatever it is, they're always through the PCH, the extra ones. So only one goes through. And I've tested them a couple times, and sometimes you do get slightly different scores. But like on the X570 boards, it's, you know, without looking at the manual, if you were to just benchmark it, it would be hard to figure out which slot was right. tied to the CPU. Well, it's the, not, the connectivity between there and the CPU is at Gen 3 speeds, if I'm not mistaken, as opposed to Gen 4 and the 570. That's true. Yeah, on right. the 570 it, case, it, yeah, the chipset PCH does go X4. Uh, to the CPU instead of three. So yeah, that yeah. that is a good point. Yeah, that's the difference on the uh, B550. Um, but you can still uh, get that good, you know, that good performance just by on the primary slot. It's just if you have two SSDs, you got to kind of think about uh, the uh, second one. Uh, it's going to be a little slower if you put a PCI Express 4 SSD in there. You're not going to get that full performance out of it. 
Okay, so um, let, let's um, put the blinker on. Let's talk overclocking for this. I mean, it seems like you know we've been nothing but you know roses uh, for the board. Does it have any thorns, and could it be an overclocking, Brent? So I would not use this board to do a lot of heavy overclocking. Um, I would say that it's capable of light overclocking. You can overclock with it. It's overclocking capable, and that's, again, thanks to the chipset. It uh, you can easily type in the voltage you want. It has a it has a few overclocking options. It does not go in in depth in overclocking options like you would get on a more expensive board. That would give you more overclocking features, but it gives you the basics of what you need. You can type in the multiplier, you can type in the voltage, and you can mess with the load line calibration, and that's pretty much it. But between all that, oh, and and the SOC voltage. But between all of that. Uh, you can hone in a decent overclock, a light overclock, but I wouldn't push it hard on uh, CPUs. I also would not run this motherboard with extremely power-hungry or high TDP CPUs um, like the 3900X or 3950X. Um, and if you had one of those, I would definitely probably not overclock on those. Um, but a lesser CPU... You could get away with a couple hundred megahertz overclock, and I managed to. I was easily able to take our CPU, the 3600, and uh, make all four cores or all six cores run at 4.2 gigahertz uh, with no problem. It was easy. I typed in the voltage, and it just worked. So is that um, consistent with what you're able to pull off on the uh, the Tai Chi board? Yes, yes, it is. Now with the Tai Chi board, however, I was able to fine tune the voltage a little more. The Tai Chi motherboard has some uh, Windows software that you can actually use inside Windows and dial in the voltage um, a, a lot a lot easier on the go. With this motherboard. Um, you kind of just had to set the voltage and then use the load line calibration to fine tune. So it was a little more trickier, but it worked. And I did manage to get the same overclock. All right. That's um, better than expected, but <laughs> um, but not bad for a hundred dollar board um, yeah. or less. Um, so anyway, I guess let's, you know, wrap this up. I mean, I guess your final points on this board would be. Uh, I recommend it. Uh, I would say if you're looking for a a low end system, again, this is not for the high end. This is the low end. This is the entry level. This is for those on a budget. If you need entry level into the Ryzen ecosystem, you don't have a lot of money. Maybe you're going to throw in a uh, 3100 or 3300 Ryzen CPU or an APU, for example. That really fits this motherboard well. So you can have a very low cost system. You can have an APU, so you don't need to buy a separate GPU and this motherboard and all, and right there you have a, a great system for a very low cost. All right, fantastic. Um, let's move on to our next review that we posted up, um, which is a Fortron Source Hydro G Pro 1000 power supply. Um, and uh, Paul strapped this to his bench and uh, I guess let's see how powerful it is. Uh, uh, tell us about it, Paul. Uh, well, this is actually this was a bit of a surprise. Uh, I've been doing this a while, and uh, FSP is one of those companies that has been around for quite a while. Most people, you know, um, don't realize how old they are. Sometimes they're not the oldest in the business, but they've been around since the early '90s. And part of the reason is that people don't realize that, or how big they are. They're one of the top ten producers of power supplies. It's because you don't often see usually their own stuff branded in the U.S. Uh, until the last few years, and then they come, they've come, they sort of come and gone, haven't had a real 
strong push um, because they get enough OEM business. Um, but this is a this Hydrogy Pro uh, is their latest push on the own branding uh, in the U.S. And this one actually, you know, like I said, surprising a bit because usually FSP is really sort of that workhorse, you know, doesn't do anything flashy, doesn't do anything impressive, just sort of keeps on working, you know, you'll go pick it up 10 years from now and it'll still be working. Um, never does anything amazing, it just keeps on keeping on. Uh, and this one did a little better. I mean, this one, you know, they've gone to a little bit of effort to, uh, you know, make it stand out a little bit visually, which is sort of weird with the power supplies. This isn't the most, is that the most visually uh, stunning thing? Everybody's going to black these days. Um, black is the new beige. Uh, or this, or the uh, flat gray for those of us who are old enough. Um, but you know, they put a little effort into making it look, you know, at least somewhat interesting. If you've got if you've got a window in there, uh, the build quality on it was actually rather good in this case. Uh, this is one of those ones where they, over the years, there's been some things where because they were doing things to price point, you would see some things that cut a little bit out of the way they could have done things. But this time, it really didn't. They, they say hit all their marks. Everything was well done. Um, the soldering is one of those things that they, for years, have had uh, times where you're like, well, you know, you could have done a little better. I mean, it works. And it's going to keep working, but it's just not the prettiest. This time, you know, they hit it all. It, it was it was well done. This, you know, there was no complaints. They didn't have any cold shunts anywhere. They didn't have any cracking. It was going to show up in the trace. Everything looked really well done. Uh, and it was a lot more open than you're really expecting when you pop it open for a thousand watt power supply. You'll notice in some of the overhead pictures, there's just not a lot to it when it comes to heat sinks these days, and that's because you know it's more efficient and because they're using the housing as part of the heat sink here. So you know that combined with the you know good component quality here, we, you know they're picking you know Rubicon and, and Nippon Chemicon for the electrolytics, which is nice. Um, you know, they were using solid on Chemicon uh, uh, capacitors in the really, really hot areas of the board. Uh, they did it basically everything you want to see done, which was good. I mean, you know, that's something that we don't see a lot of times from people who are used to doing just OEM work. They don't make it all nice and neat and pretty and tidy inside because they're not paid for it. So good job on that. I was really happy to see that. Uh, and, you know, it's always how does it translate into actual function? And when we got done reviewing it, got done doing everything, the voltage regulation on it was, you know, spot on. You know, it's not the absolute best I've ever seen, but, you know, there's to a point where you're talking about, you know, one one hundredth of a volt difference between two different power supplies. How important is that really? It's not. So uh, they really hit you know, all their points there. Uh, the efficiency on this thing was also, you know, on point. There was nothing to complain about. Again, it was doing everything and doing everything a little better than, you know, sort of expected. So didn't have any complaints on that. It did, you know, what was expected of it. The one part that really surprised me, though, was when we popped over and we looked at the transient uh, results. Uh, this one was interesting because usually with the FSP systems we've seen, their secondary implementation has been one that has suffered a little bit from these transient loads. And this one was a lot better off today. We saw a maximum drop on the 12 volt row and we have a transit load hit of only about 210 millivolts, which is about a half of where we used to see FSP's secondary design. So they've really worked on the secondary to clean that up. And so 
that was one of the best results actually we've had to date at FSP Review when it comes to the 12 volt uh, transient response. So was surprised to see they made that much progress. It's great to see if they made that much progress though. So loved it. Uh, we had, you know, same thing. We got over the DC output quality on that. You know, we peaked at about 35 millivolts uh, of rippler noise on the 12 volt rail, uh, which is you know about one quarter of the spec. So you're well within spec there. Uh, the minor rails didn't do quite as well. They were about 25 millivolts, which is about half the spec there, but it's not gonna make a difference to you in real in real life and everyday work. It's gonna be, you're not gonna notice though. You're with half a spec, totally fine, totally fine. Uh, the one thing that, you know, at the end, you know, that people are a little concerned about sometimes always comes down to noise. Um, you know, it's always funny when people ask me, how noisy is a thousand watt power supply? I always love that. The only thing that's be better is when you have a 16 or 50 watt one. You know, it's a thousand watt power supply. If you want to keep it cool, you're going to have to have a fan moving air. Right, so a thousand watts and uh, a thousand watts of decibels or something else. Right. <laughs> yeah. So you're going to get noise, but you know, this particular time they implemented a hybrid fan controller in it, so they would have the fan off until a certain low level. That was great. They used uh, the fluid dynamic bearing uh, protecting fan in that. Uh, they fluid dynamic bearing gets a lot of people arguing about what really qualifies as a fluid dynamic bearing. Um, it's basically a type of sleeve, uh, modified sleeve bearing. So they're not the greatest uh, at longevity. You know, ball bearing fans are still going to do better at longevity, but they're quieter. Um, so, but it had a fluid dynamic bearing in it. That was great. So realistically, it was not until the torture test really, I mean, test the, the Test three, uh, towards the end, I can sort of notice it. During the torture test, I'm sitting there for eight hours with the thing. Eventually, you start noticing, you know, what's that sound? And, you know, what's that sound in the room? So, but I was running it for eight hours, you know? And so, and by torture test, you mean in an incubator also, like, right. running at, like, 100-volt input for the torture test uh, as well? Uh, 100, 120 still. 120 right? still, okay. You know, I always debated about doing how much I should torture you, because <laughs> at one point in time, most APSC power supplies are rated for 90 to 264 volt input. And just for fun, I thought it would be good to run some of these on a torture test at 90 volt and run it full load at 45 degrees Celsius and just see what would happen. And I did it with some old test units and I destroyed all of them. So I decided right. <laughs> that, that that might not be a good idea because. Uh, you know, a fire extinguisher per review is getting a little pricey. Right, right. Certainly makes sense. Um, so I guess final points on this, what I found to be interesting is that, um, you know, from reading your writing over the years, all your power supply reviews, you very rarely hand out gold reviews. You very rarely shower a, a power supply with as much praise as you typically do. You're typically yelling, yeah. get off my lawn, this thing, yeah. you know, is, eh, it passed. And that's yeah. usually your reaction. But somehow I scrolled down and I saw that you handed out a gold award, which might be the first one you've handed out since we started the site. So I, you know, I guess that's your final point there, right? Or unless you want to tack onto that. Yeah, no, I mean, that was it. I just, uh, like I said, I was, you know, to the, to the point, this was one that, you know, came in and it just did everything the way it was supposed to. And it literally gave me no problems. I mean, there's some things that don't go into reviews. Um, the, and this is one of those things about it. I'll just 
really quickly, one of the things, connecting and disconnecting the power leads on these things all the time to the load tester, some of the fittings just suck. They are, you know, there's a dimension, there's a spec range of dimensions, and some of them are harder to see than others. And this sounds stupid. This is one of the things I have in my notebook about this one is that, oh, God, all the connectors worked. You know, I mean, it's one of those things. It made my day so much easier that, yeah, I mean, there's that. That's it. Right. Get it out of park. Makes sense. Um, thank you for letting us know about that one. It's certainly a great one to look out for. I think you said it, you know we're finding it at two hundred nine ninety nine in the market. Probably going to go lower once I guess yeah, the supply chain gets fixed. Right. FSP has always been aggressive on pricing. That number is going to come down. This is just the world we live in right now, where old hundred dollar webcams are now two hundred bucks. I mean, you know. Right. That's certainly. Makes sense. And then um, speaking of things that need a thousand watt power supply, um, Brent um, trotted out our RTX 3080 Founders Edition and took it for a spin um, and put the pedal to the metal to see what he could really uh, pull out of it. Um, and, and so this one, it's you know, we've had it, uh, I guess what we had about a month now. So we did an initial set of launch reviews. Um, and then so okay, we're going to get to overclocking once the drivers mature a little bit, once it gives it a chance. Uh, because a lot of times, you know, it's hard to even overclock initially because you know, all, you know, say Afterburner or the other overclock software won't even support it at that point. Uh, so um, we finally tried it out. I guess, Brent, can you tell us a little bit about um, what you found when you overclocked um, and got every last drop of performance out of the 3080? Yeah, so the 3080, very unique uh, to overclock. It's um, a little more difficult, a little more time needs to be spent overclocking the 3080 than last generation or previous. Uh, we have to understand that when you start overclocking it at the beginning, it's already a very hot running, very power hungry GPU that's pretty much running at the TDP limit to begin with. So thankfully with uh, the latest MSI Afterburner, uh, we are uh, able to increase uh, on the Founders Edition and we need to make note this is the Founders Edition we're overclocking. So that means that um, the add-in board partner cards may behave differently. This is a unique design from NVIDIA. It uh, is a unique PCB construction and configuration. It has a uh, unique cooling that is not replicated on the add-in board partner cards. So that means it will overclock differently. Um, but at least with MSI Afterburner, we can up that power limit to 115%. So that gives us a, just a little bit of headroom to work with. We still have to work within the power uh, and thermals, however. It runs warm, and you have to keep that in mind. So with uh, MSI Afterburner now, um, we were able to take the power limit up to 115%. So that gives us a little bit of headroom, and we are able to use that. We still have to worry about the thermals, but thankfully we can turn the fan speed above auto on this video card. And with the Founders Edition, that actually works quite well. The fans do get really loud when you crank them up, but keep it around 80% and you'll have the temperature uh that you need to overclock with and that keeps you around 80 or below 80c on the video card so, so brent you mentioned that you're turning up the power limit but are you also turning up the uh the voltage on the gpu as okay. well yeah that's important um no and here's why um even because we are setting up the power limit and technically you have that there if you raise the voltage, that's also going to increase the power limit by a lot. But here's the deal. GPU boost controls the voltage. It already does that. 
you really don't need to touch the voltage because GPU boost will kind of figure it all out on the back end. So sometimes, in a way, GPU boost is overriding the core voltage you set anyway. And all that is is an offset. It's not that you're going to get that voltage. It's just that it allows it to go plus whatever above the default voltage. But GPU boost is going to give you uh, the higher voltage, even if you just increase the uh, GPU clock offset. So really, in order to keep the the power in check, it's better to leave the core voltage alone and just raise the GPU clock offset and let GPU boost do its own thing. That will give you the best o overclock in my testing. And by doing that, I was able to set the uh, GPU offset to plus 100. And what that meant was taking the frequency on average about 150 little above that about 150 megahertz over the average which gave us from about 1837 megahertz default up to like uh, 1991 megahertz default so it was quite a noticeable difference and no voltage had to be changed to do that but you will notice that gpu boost did increase that voltage automatically between the two and uh, and then that brings us to the memory overclocking. Boy, is that a lot more difficult on 3080. 3080 employs ECC on the GDDR6 memory. This is GDDR6X memory, remember, this is different. And what that means is, in the past, you would overclock the memory, and when you start hitting the limits, it would start artifacting, giving you polygons and all kinds of crazy things going on. Well, that no longer happens. Now the memory lowers the performance in your game instead of artifacting. So you now have to find that sweet spot, that balance between the top end performance that the memory gives you and then when it starts going down and then lower it and that's your memory overclock. That takes time. But we were able to take our the 19 gigahertz memory on here by default up to 20.7 or 20.8 gigahertz. So that was quite a bit. That's plus 1,000 or plus 900 on the uh, memory offset. I actually got it up to 21 gigahertz at the maximum, and then that's when it would start to slow down in game. So I had to kind of pull it back just a little bit to that plus 900, which was 20.8 gigahertz. And uh, then that gave us our final memory overclock. Mm -hmm. All right, fantastic. Um, and so... You know, got the overclock done. Um, about how much of a margin did you see in uh, gameplay improvements um, across the board? And we're not going to flip through all of these. We'll probably, you know, I guess, generally speaking, what did you see as far as the difference uh, once you dialed in that overclock? Yeah, the general difference was between 6 to 9%, depending on the game and the resolution. So the lower the resolution, uh, you will see a lower performance increase. The higher the resolution, like 4K, you'll see higher. And so at the most, 9%, at the least, around 6%. Now, we did find some interesting, interesting differences about what that overclock affects in terms of whether ray tracing is on or off, DLSS being on or off. And I'm not going to reveal all those secrets now. So go check out the review to, to read all that. But you will find some interesting performance differences, whether you have ray tracing or DLSS enabled versus plain old rasterization. Very interesting results worth checking out.
Ooh, fantastic. Is that buried somewhere in the game performance pages? It's 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 all in there. It's all it's in there. All okay. in there. And, the, and the conclusion summarizes it up very well. All right, fantastic. Uh, so that link is down below, of course, if you want to go read. Um, well, Brent kind of wraps up. Um, you know, power, I guess, looks like 500. And, is that 540 watts? Through the roof. Through the roof. It's the most power-hungry thing I've ever encountered when overclocking besides the uh, GeForce uh, Fermi, the Fermi generation. That was wild, too. But this is equally as wild. Right, I got to pair one of these with our 10980 over there, overclock them both and trip a couple breakers. That'd be fun. Mm. You would. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to need that 1650 you're working on, Paul. He's <laughs> sending you new power supplies around, huh? Right. Yes. Right. Uh, yeah, this thing, if you're going to overclock 3080s and especially 3090s, if you're going to overclock those video cards, High wattage. It's it's now the time of high wattage PSUs. Good quality and high wattage. You know, I'm wondering what the binning is like on the GPUs themselves because it doesn't seem like, I mean, from what I've seen, that you can get much out of them. Yeah. Um, you really, um, yeah, I mean, you know that NVIDIA is using probably the better GPUs for their Founders Edition, perhaps. Um, yeah, that's what and- I'm thinking. But, you know, until we get add-in board partner cards and really see how a lot of them overclock, you know, we can't really tell what the trend is going to be right now. I just have to keep pointing out the Founders Edition is a unique design, unique from NVIDIA. It's basically their custom card. It's not the reference design. It is a custom card. So we'll just have to see what the trend is with the add-in board partner cards. Right. Right, certainly. So uh, I think that wraps up all of our reviews um, that we've knocked out. Um, we've got a couple more coming up. We'll tease those towards the end of the video as far as what we have on the docket for uh, this upcoming week. Uh, meanwhile, let's hit some news here, I guess, kind of keeping with the um, GeForce 3080 bandwagon. Um, another fresh load of rumors has been dumped into the mill, um, started grinding away. And this one's saying that we have some 20 gig GeForce RTX 3080s coming this way, possibly as early as December, um, as well as allegedly this supply uh, shortage of uh, 30 series GPUs may be coming to an end suddenly uh, as we get washed away as Big Navi is announced. Um, there's allegedly going to be a little bit more stock. Now, I don't know. On one hand, it's like we kind of have the tinfoil hat conspiracy theory of you've got NVIDIA orchestrating all this market madness in order to somehow flip things in their favor. When, uh, But then on the other hand, you look at COVID supply chain and all that kind of fun stuff and everything that's been going on in the world, plus the fact that there hasn't been a jump in performance since the 1080 series came out at this price point, um, you know, in what, four and a half, five years um, that yeah. we've been stuck at that same performance level. So there's kind of two competing theories. Uh, I guess the one that's more fun is the conspiracy, but then again, I could, I could probably see it go either way. So I guess, uh, what, do you, what do you guys think? Is this, uh, I guess, go around the horn. Is this conspiracy or is this just uh, the COVID market that we live in? The truth's probably in the middle, honestly. I mean, NVIDIA, the thing is about NVIDIA is they are, it takes more than just having a good product to succeed in the market. You have to be good at the business side. And NVIDIA is. And they do, and on the motherboard side, I know kind of what more about what they do, but 
there is some back and forth and things that these companies do to try and, you know, throw the other company off of what they're doing and all that stuff. So there is some truth to the, to these conspiracy theories. Um, but they never go, at least not that I've ever seen, they, they rarely ever go that far. Right. I mean, they're, but you know, is NVIDIA being deceptive on, on what they're doing? They're probably trying to throw AMD off somewhat, and I'm sure that they're reacting to what AMD's doing. Um, so there may be something to that. I think the pricing is about right for a 20 gig 3080, and I think that is something that we'll see. I just don't know. And I, I think one of the companies had a – there was like an internal slide that leaked that suggested it really was a thing. So um, – but as far as like the the supply just like ending or uh, you know us getting flooded with it, I kind of doubt that. Yeah, the, right. supply, the supply side thing I go with is uh, wishful thinking. I think we will get some. I think I think no, I think it'll get a little bit better than it is now because I've been trying to buy a thirty ninety for you know ever since they came out and and I have not been able to to do it. Uh, you know, so I think it may get a little bit better, but you know, like washing away AMD in this flood of availability, no, hell no, I don't think so. That's something really, that might be interesting about is if there's something different on these 20 gig cards that allows them to be recovering something they haven't been able to be using before. If that's if the 20 gig cards are now going to be something's changed and that they're able to do this different from their other ones. I am wondering about that. Uh, well, and, and the size of the module that's currently available for GDDR six X, because I believe it's like the two gig dies are not quite on the market yet, and so they'd have to use twice as many one gigs to get to twenty. So maybe they're waiting for that to be a bit more available to push the twenty gigs. Yeah, and it may be the existing 3080s. The reason they were saddled with 10 gig is is supply issues. I mean, who knows? But and it allowed them to kind of get that in there at that price point. I, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Um, you know, honestly, I'm a little less interested in kind of what you know AMD is doing with this, or I'm sorry, Nvidia, and I'm more concerned, you know, interested in AMD because while I've kind of been skeptical of them being able to reach the performance levels of a 3080, you know. Uh, I've heard one or two things, but really thinking about it, you don't stick 16 gig or 20 gig on a card or whatever they're doing. Um, that's only going to compete at like the 3070 level. Well, I would so remind if, I would remind you of the Radeon 7 at that point. <laughs> they did that, and um, that card was not a high end card for gaming. It just was no. not. Well, that's true. I mean, AMD has had this kind of like history of putting like a lot of RAM on cards. But, you know, it is, well, I don't know, it depends on if they stick with HBM or, or not, but I don't know. I don't know. Well, this, you can stall, this you can install games on it if you got a lot of RAM on there. That's a good point. As we learned last week. Yes. Right. It can run crisis. So. <laughs> yeah, I don't really have an, opi an opinion either way on this subject, except to say that I think the human malware situation this year has definitely caused a lot of aches for everybody. Manufacturing, uh, every every everywhere in the chain, this has caused uh, just a tremendous problem. And so, you know, the way that de the demand is is high, we know that Nvidia knew or knows the demand is going to be high. It's it's more, I think, to do with just getting all the parts out there. And 
you know, um, with availabilities and all that, I think coming in December, that makes a lot more sense. Yeah, okay. we'll see increased availability, but didn't, uh, you know, their CEO say that there would be shortages even on these cards through 2021. I, I'm mm-hmm. inclined to believe that with yeah, supply chains and everything being what they are right now. I don't think that I'll be able to walk into Micro Center and buy a 3090 anytime soon unless I just get you know, extremely lucky and just happen to get there the one time they put one out. But, you know, I just don't see that availability. Like, I don't think we're going to get this supposed flood of GPUs from NVIDIA in, in November or whatever. I just don't see it happening. Right. Uh, well, uh, we can see how this uh, pans out over the course of the next few months and see who's right and who's wrong. <laughs> I'd love to be wrong. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, I'm I'm ready to buy some because I mean, I've been trying to buy 3080s and 3090s for us to review. Is is there's not even enough for manufacturers to sample these things um, very widely. So uh, <laughs> we, I mean, and and we're not willing to pay scalper pricing, but we've kind of put like you know hundred dollar whatever bounties on like, hey, somebody get us one of these. You know, we'll pay for it. You know, and nothing. Right, right. I don't know. Maybe I need to get a little higher on the bounties, but I guess to those listening, I, I mean, even we'll, we'll rent your card from you just to review it um, so we can start moving through some of these. But anyhow, let's let's move on to, um, you know, it looks like, you know, connected to video cards, we have monitors. Um, Samsung's been putting out a lot of good monitors lately, but it looks like their Odyssey G7 series have had a bit of an issue. Well, okay, allegedly. <laughs> allegedly. Lawsuit's not a bit of an issue. Right, right. It's a bit of, well, but they still allegedly have an issue, and so um, you know the, the vultures have circled and you know decided that apparently there's been a lot of different. I guess there's been a lot of flickering that's been happening while running G-Sync on these monitors, and people aren't happy. Um, since I'm guessing their usage agreement doesn't include you know mandatory binding arbitration, <laughs> here we are. <laughs> uh, you know, I guess. Um, you know, would this bother you guys if your screen was flickering um, enough? Would you guys pile onto this sort of thing? Is it? Oh yeah, yeah. I <laughs> well, you know, it, of course. Yeah, I mean, you know, if I have to worry about my epilepsy taking over, I mean, yeah, I, I don't have epilepsy, but you know, I don't either. I just... Yeah, I, I play a lot of games. I love G Sync. Um, I've had a G Sync monitor for a long time. <laughs> that would drive me insane. I, I would. I would certainly have tried to get, I would have bought another monitor, even if I had to like get into the, you know, get in part of the class action, whatever. I, I wouldn't have been able to continue using it. Right. I don't, so, know, how much, I don't know how much of it, how big a problem it really is to have one of these monitors, but it doesn't matter to some extent to Samsung if it's a huge problem or it's not. It's out there. The news is out there. You know, the lawsuit's out there. People are talking about it. it it's not good for business. <laughs> if it, oh, of course. Yeah. Doesn't matter how the problem really is. This is bad. This bad news for them. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the bad news is going to be worse than I guess the dollar thirty-five that everyone's going to get in a settlement check um, in the event they settle it. But you know, I guess you know, you know heads up to those watching that have one of these monitors. Um, you know, check out and see what potential remedies are out there for you. And the the bigger implication though is you know for their kind of monitor business, the monitor market has gotten massively competitive in the last what five to. 10 years. I mean, you got everybody getting into that market space. So kind of like falling down the ladder, you know, people going, eh, no, not don't buy their G-Sync monitors, which have a, you know, they're a higher price premium anyway, because the, the G-Sync hardware, it's not good for them. Right. 
Absolutely. And um, I guess we'll see how this develops. If anything else pops up, we'll make sure to either publish it in the news section or bring it up in the review cast. Um, moving on to this next thing, um, oh. you know, one of the most. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> hey, I'm I'm pretty color. <laughs> okay, right. you're done. Good. Okay, that's fine. You got it all out. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Cyberpunk 2077 has been you know, one of the more popular topics that we've been reporting on. Uh, but coming up, I think release date's coming up in about a month now um, until you know we finally get to play. And it seems like everyone's jumping on the bandwagon, making accessories and brandings and all this kind of stuff. So now we have a, a yellow banana no, mouse uh, <laughs> that Razor has put out. Um, and it sounds like you guys aren't necessarily a fan. I mean, Brent, you got to be yeah, a fan. Right? I, yellow's just not a... That just... Uh, you know, the worst part about this is it's not going to wear well. No. Yellow's, not, yellow's not a color that it's, it, it does not wear well. I mean, it, mm. you know, is it fades? It just looks bad. Right, but I mean, it's only it's selling for only $159.99. You know, oh, it, it's got to be like a... Uh, uh, okay, I got something else to throw up about now. I don't really have a problem with it, to be honest, because I understand that hardware manufacturers want to sell hardware. And, you know, at the end of the day, uh, I have seen many, 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 many pieces of hardware, you know, branded to certain games that are coming out. I mean, even see it in used to see it in the movies. You know, they release some kind of unique cup at some fast food joint that would like be, you know, brand for that movie to to promote that movie. So oh, it's no, kind of it's kind it's kind of the same way here. Well, you know? I don't. I don't so. have a problem with the the, the branding tie-ins. Like I don't have a problem with twenty seventy seven mice. It's the yellow. Yeah, the yellow. so it's, much of it. It's very yellow. It, I'll give you that. It's very. And it's not going to wear well. That's just the thing. I just you know for one hundred fifty nine dollars after it's going to look what it's going to look like in about a year of use. I just get it. Yeah. <laughs> well. Just, anyhow, yeah. For, so for those looking for a yellow mouse. Um, Razor's yeah. got it. Um, oh. Buy it, you know, or you can buy two copies of the game and have some money left over. Um, either way. So uh, next up, I want to follow up. Uh, we kind of ranted and raved about this for a little bit um, about how Call of Duty has made 250 gig SSDs obsolete. Um, well, this just in, um, and I don't know. This was a comment in our forums. It's like, oh, great, a 20 gig patch that lets you delete half the game. So. <laughs> <laughs> So, so add another 20 gigs. This one is going to let you, um, you know, basically, and from what I've seen, this is just kind of the initial they announced that, you know, the next patch on PC is going to let you remove parts of the game. Um, I think from what I was reading, unless you cut the install size by about half. Um, so brings your total, if you, if you take out everything you can to about 120 gigs left. Um, so I guess the 250 gig SSDs can live on to see, um, you know, at least a couple more days. Yeah, I wonder what, uh, now the curious part is if they have this much fat they can cut out of it, why was it there to begin with? And well, then number two, so, what are you cutting out? Well, it's, it, well it, I think it's the player's choice. It's because there's a single player content, the yeah. multiplayer content, and then um, the, the battle royale content as well. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's you pick which elements you want to keep. I think the battle royale content you can't pull, um, but you can drop the uh, single multiplayer content. Yeah, the so I actually looked at this the other day because I have this on my machine, and yeah, that's what you can do. You can pull like the single player stuff out of it if you want to, and that accounts for quite a bit of it. 
I actually wish they'd expand upon this more and give you the options in more games coming out like this that are very large uh, to actually select which components you want to install or have in there. If you don't want the single-player campaign because you don't play that, absolutely just not have that in there. If you don't want multiplayer, whatever, whatever these components are in there, kind of select what you want installed. And I think that kind of thing moving forward could really, really, really give a lot of, you know, flexibility on, on smaller drives and just in general for people that may have slower download connections. And the problem is, is it depends on the game type, you know, for call of duty, the, the multiplayer maps are, are not the single player stuff at all. Uh, the assets for, you know, the levels are, are different and there's not as much sharing there as you might imagine. And so it kind of gives them the ability to do it. In fact, the old Call of Duty Modern Warfare, you know, the original one let you, I mean, the multiplayer and, and uh, uh, single player are actually separate executables and everything. And, and that was actually great because you could, you know, literally, you know, delete some of the stuff if you didn't want it because it too was considered kind of large for its day. But something like, let's say, the Star Wars Squadrons game with the single player in that, I don't know how, I mean, other than like the movies, like the movies might free up quite a bit of space, but I don't think you'd get anything else other like the, the pre-render cutscenes. you know, that, that might pull out a bunch, but I don't think you'd lose much else if you cut the rest of it out. There's just not that much there in the single player. Right. It makes sense. Um, so anyhow, at least this crisis has been a well that's uh, a bad pun um <laughs> this conundrum uh, has been hopefully solved um and uh hopefully it'll be solved for other games as well um as far as that goes um i think coming up next i guess let's get back into uh cpu land and talk uh we got a few cpu you know rumors and news to hit um you know, first thing we saw is some early leaked benchmarks for the Ryzen 9 5950X, uh, which we talked about the launch of it on uh, the very first review cast last week. Um, now it's, um, you know, you've got them saying it's beating the tar out of the 10900K, which actually doesn't seem like a very fair fight. But no. you know, I think we had a thread about that. <laughs> in the forums yeah, as well. and, and I run a lot of single uh, Cinebench testing and uh I'm not surprised at all. Um, the single uh, threaded stuff uh, is not shocking if AMD was even kind of partially truthful about the gains that they're getting with Zen 3. Um, it, but like the multi-thread, the existing lineup already annihilated Intel. Uh, I mean, it's not a surprise. Not really. Well, what's always more interesting is what's not leaked. The good ones always get leaked. You never leak the bad ones. So what's the what's the what's the other side? So great. Cinemench is doing fabulous. What else is going on? This is my sort of thought every time I see these. Yeah. Right, but I mean, it's, I think the other thing that'll be interesting, and I guess as reviews get released of the AMD 5000 series, is what's the most appropriate matchup uh, between each of the parts? Because you have the 10900 mm-hmm. at 10 cores, you know, probably about five, five, six hundred bucks or so. But then the fifty nine fifty is an eight hundred dollars chip. Oh, but that's, but that's yeah, a brilliant the, marketing move, though. I mean, you keep it from being able to be directly compared, and that's yeah, that's the, the marketing glory. So, so the thirty or the 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 fifty nine hundred X is supposed to be five fifty, I think. 
And the 10900K is actually, I believe last time I looked at them, they were over 600. Um, they're going for a little bit more. I, their prices, I think, went up a little bit on them, if I'm not mistaken. But they, so they're kind of close. So uh, I guess, I mean, the 5950 is going to be priced, you know, way outside of, you know, like the 3950X. It's going to sit in between in this kind of realm that it's almost HDT pricing. So I don't think Intel really has to worry about that one, but the 5900X is certainly going to be something that I think is going to be priced close enough to the 10900K that they're going to have to drop the price of the 10900K. And I think they will. I think it, it's price will come down quite a bit to kind of, I don't know. I mean, Intel's historically never done big price drops, but um, I think we, we have that. If we hang on just a moment, we're going to hit price job, drops uh, shortly. Um, but but before we get to pri Intel price drops, it seems that Intel has finally cracked PCI 4 or PCIe 4. And uh, it's allegedly, of, of course, we I think we probably heard this about you know the last generation too. <laughs> um, it's allegedly on on the docket for uh, for Rocket Lake S, and that's allegedly coming from what first quarterish of next year. So I mean, I feel like we just had a launch. Yeah, from them. <laughs> we well we well we did. It, well, it was a few months back or a few months ago, but yeah. Um, so yeah, supposedly first quarter 2021, we're going to get Rocket Lake S, and it will be compatible with existing LGA uh, 1200 motherboards with the Z490 chipset. So. You know, and most of that logic, if they built the, the Z490 boards right, you know, then it's all up to the PCI Express controller and the CPU. So um, it's just it's kind of a weird news story to, to have that. Yeah, that's that's generally the uh, sense we got when the uh, when the launch happened a couple months ago. Um, I remember specifically they talked about future motherboard support because they already knew the next CPUs were going to have PCI Express 4 that the motherboards were built with the idea that they could be, you know, support that. So uh, I don't know what that really means in terms of, you know, the CPUs coming out, you already have that motherboard, maybe a BIOS update, maybe nothing really needs to happen and you'll just automatically have PCI Express 4.0 support. Some motherboards actually launched, I remember uh, specifying that, that they would have that future support. So, um, look closely at your motherboard and what it said it specified, but uh, those Z490 boards, yeah, they're geared for PCI Express 4 already. Yeah, we, we haven't seen too many that are, you know, like cut rate on price. So uh, one of the things about PCI Express signaling is it does increase the cost of the board a little bit. So um, I, I expect, there well, there'll have to be a firmware update to support Rocket. Mm -hmm. Like just because there'll be different microcode that wasn't available when the BIOS was released to OEMs for Z490, so it'll have to have one. Um, so I'm pretty sure we'll see that. Right, and the BioStar can knock out a hundred dollar board for them too, right? So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so kind of leading into that is um, you know there it sounds like you know more rumors of course are reporting that Intel might be about to start a price cut or a price war of some sort and try to undercut um, you know the 5800X um, with its upcoming generation from Rocket Lake S. 
Um, so I think one thing that's interesting to me is, is historically Intel has never been a price leader. Um, they have kind of ignored what AMD does and they have priced things according to what they want to sell them for. And on the back end, there's really very little room for wiggle. So it's interesting to me that these rumors are starting to start flying around at this point. Hey, you know, they're true. I mean, they're true. This is my, this is my favorite type of war. Well, yeah, it, the consumer wins on that one for sure. But um, there may be some truth to that. I mean, Intel has not, as you said, they've not historically been, you know, that concerned with AMD pricing. Um, but we did see some cuts. Um, we have seen them cut price in regard to what AMD was doing when they don't have a choice. It's something that they are kind of slow to to come to the realization of. It's like they're not competing, so they have to do it. And, you know, we saw it. Um, certainly with the 10980XE, you know, I did the article back on that. And, you know, that was a price cut from $2,000. You know, they literally cut the price of that chip in half because Intel knew that they had no shot at competing with Zen 2-based uh, 3960Xs and, and all that. So they didn't have any choice. The, the price had to come down. And it's the same thing here. They don't have any shot in hell of competing with the 5900X, uh, and you know because they can't really compete outside of gaming. They don't compete well with the 3900XT or, or X as it is now. So, yeah, I think they're going to bring the prices down by how much. Well, that remains to be seen. I, I don't expect like we would see like a 10900K, you know, go for like, you know what is it 5800x pricing or anything like that or undercut that i don't think we'll see anything you know that extreme i don't i don't think intel has the margins for that right now um but i do think that we will see some eight core parts that that may be i don't know they'll be cheaper i i, I suspect they'll be closer in price yeah i'll be interested my thought on this beyond that is you know where the price cuts come where are going to make a bigger difference you know 100 bucks on the processor that's you know 700 bucks doesn't mean much you know 100 bucks on a processor it's running at 300 bucks changes a lot of you know calculus for people building systems for various applications so you know how how and where the cuts come uh, i mean i know they're talking about here you know some of these in the 449 349 range yeah, that's sort of getting to be relevant to some extent like that. But if they start coming in and the processors are a little bit looking a little cheaper, that all of a sudden makes that options for, well, that money moves over to my GPU now. It's become a GPU money because, you know, realistically, most of these are going to be fine for pushing. Most of the GPUs are going to be able to pair with it. So that gives me an extra hundred bucks on the GPU side. Right. These days, that seems to make a bit of a difference. All right, so I think we've kind of hit the end of the, the newsreel for today. Um, uh, you know, is, are there or unless there were any other any other articles you guys saw that we need to hit real quick, or you think we've probably wrapped it up pretty well? I think that wraps it up. <laughs> All right, fa fantastic. I guess we'll um, I guess we'll end on a kind of a quick around the horn on on what's coming. Well, I don't know, the folks. 
what do we have coming up next week? So, so next week, review-wise, uh, we've got a couple different things in the pipeline. Um, we have a review of the XFX RX 5500 XT um, coming from Eduardo, our new GPU reviewer. Um, so that is slated to publish for next week. Um, I've also got a Silverstone um, AR1 uh, VO3 that I mentioned last week. Um, that should be coming up next week as well. And I think we're going to fit that throne review in. Yeah, Dan did a review of a throne. Um, yes, the chair. <laughs> so that's chair throne. Yeah. Yes, I'm sitting in it right now, actually. Right, so uh, we'll get to read all about that next week, and, um, and we can talk about that on uh, ReviewCast Episode 3. That's, I think that's kind of it for today. So um, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe for uh, for all of our content, which whether it's review casts or unboxings or whatever else we start putting up here on YouTube would be awesome. Visit the website. We have links to all of the news um, that we talked about as well, well as the reviews down below in the description. So feel free to check those out. Also, um, if you like emails that are not spam, uh, we have a weekly newsletter that will um, you know, send you the latest news and reviews from us. Um, you know, every Saturday morning, I go put that together and send that out. Um, so a link will be down there in the description for that as well. Um, until next time, thanks for tuning in and we'll see you later.